Support for this podcast is provided by Paradox, the conversational AI company helping global talent acquisition teams at Unilever, McDonald's and CVS Health get recruiting work done faster. Let's face it, talent acquisition is full of boring administrative tasks that drag the hiring process down and create frustrating experiences for everyone. Paradox's AI assistant, Olivia, is shaking up that paradigm, automating things like applicant screening, interview scheduling, and candidate Q&A, so recruiters can spend more time with people, not software. Curious how Olivia can work for your team? Then visit paradox.ai to learn more. There's been more of scientific discovery more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi there, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 540 of the Recruiting Future podcast. A few short months ago, many commentators predicted that AI would be a revolutionary force in recruitment marketing that would drive automation, efficiency and engagement. So how does the hype live up to the reality? And what have we learnt about how AI and humans need to work together to create effective recruitment marketing? My guest this week is Kat Kibben, CEO and founder of Three Years Media. Kat is a recruitment marketing expert with a focus on job postings. They have some valuable insights and informed opinions on the relationship between recruiters AI and recruitment marketing. Hi, Kat, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. An absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Please, could you introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do? Yeah, so my name is Kat Kibben. I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Three Ears Media. It's named after two dogs with four ears, and I'll tell that story some other time. And I am a job post writing expert. There aren't a ton of job post writing experts, but my background kind of built me into this position where I've spent a lot of time in the marketing department for HR technology companies, understanding both sides of the equation. I was a managing editor for a blog about recruiting for five years. I was a technical copywriter for employer brand teams. And if you add up the skills from all three of those jobs, it adds up to job post writing expert. And that's how I ended up here. Very keen to talk to you on the show because what an interesting time for recruitment marketing, for job advert writing at the moment that we're that we're kind of living through. Talk us through how you're seeing recruitment marketing evolving since the pandemic. I think there's a impression that we can use more AI and systems to speed us up in parallel with the marketing departments of brands. And so recruitment marketing has been watching from the sidelines often because they're usually laid off pretty early in the process if there are changes in an organization. And they've been watching these marketing organizations take on AI and scale that way. But I always like to remind people when I compare marketing and recruitment marketing that they are not the same job, right? So if recruitment marketing is marketing, recruitment marketing is the hardest job in the whole world the hardest marketing because marketers can take a message to the whole world. And if 1% of people in the world take advantage of that offer, they are the best marketers in the whole world. But we in recruiting take the whole world and boil it down to one. 
And that's a different process. And it has stood in the way of our AI implementation because when those marketers are applying these same systems, they can have a lot more failure. They can have the bias that's inherent in AI. But we in hiring are trying to remove it based on a data set that's full of bias in the first place. And it's standing between us and what I imagine people are viewing as success, which is automation. I think that's really interesting because when the hype or the the big narrative about generative AI hit seems like about two years ago, but it was literally about five months ago. became the the biggest thing to talk about the the one thing that appeared on everyone's kind of commentary and all the presentations i saw and the endless linkedin posts about how this was going to revolutionize everything we we do in in about three weeks was well we can we can automate writing of job posting and recruitment marketing is all going to be automated and it's going to be fantastic five months later that's not the case is it talk us through what automation should look like in in recruitment marketing and why we're not there yet Yeah. Well, I think the barrier is the truth. What AI can do for us when it comes to copywriting is make everyone generically good. So you were at the same presentations I was in the early 2000s, mid 2000s, where everyone was just trying to set a baseline. This is what good looks like in recruitment marketing. And so you would see all these screenshots of career sites and they would tell you about the headline and what this had to be and what this had to be. And employer brand was all the rage, right? And you fast forward and now we all have access to the same tool to create some, that baseline of good. We have a better ba- like actual line in the sand that says good and bad. And AI can get you to good very quickly. What it can't make you do is stand out. And that was kind of the point of those presentations that we never really talked about is that being generically good is not good enough. But the other factor that we really need to think about is the truth. So, Creating content quickly was actually never our problem. And I'm not seeing enough people talking about this. And I think this is the the sticking point for me is that going faster wasn't the issue. Telling the truth, being unique, standing out, that was the issue, right? That's what we didn't know how to do. And that's what we didn't do well. And AI can't do that for us because if you don't input truth, it can't spit out the truth. And that goes back to what we were talking about with bias, right? When you look at your data set, so let's use job descriptions as an example. I read a study this week that said 43% of recruiters are looking forward to automating their job descriptions. And I was like, good luck to you, right? Because there is no taxonomy of jobs. A marketing director at one company and a marketing director at another company could be completely different roles. So you can't ask generative AI to write you a marketing director job. If you don't know the truth, you can't edit it to tell the truth. And so while it may create the baseline of good, we have to remember that their version of baseline of good is all the job postings that have ever been on the internet before. And I don't know about you, but I don't read a lot of great job postings on the internet. It's why my business is so popular and busy, right? When I talk about this in a room, I go, raise your hand if you ever read five good job postings. I've never seen a hand go up. Yeah, I I think that's such an interesting point about speed as well, because everyone's talking about speed. But we got speed with the with the internet. I, well, going back a very long way, my career in recruitment marketing started with a national newspaper in the UK. 
where we were selling, you know, job ads going back a quite a long way. But you had to be very creative because you had to stand out from that page. There was no search engines. There was none of that kind of stuff. You had to be visually appealing and then drag people in and persuade them to apply for this job. And this this space in these newspapers was expensive as well. So people had that one chance to do it. And then when the job boards came along, we just, you know, loads of people just putting job descriptions straight on there. You know, speed was not the as you say, speed was not the issue, but that standing out and quality, you know, we still, we still not crack that. And so do you think AI we could get us there? How, how's this mix going to, going to work in the future? I think it will be more important than ever to train your recruiters on the consultative relationship between their job and the business. So we can't have recruiters functioning as order takers anymore because that's how we get closer to the whole like AI took my job, right? Where a hiring manager says, find me this. And then the recruiter just goes out and does it without asking questions, having a conversation. And so I think it really goes back to recruiter training, but it will not be on the things we've always trained them on. So some of the common recruiter trainings I'm thinking about are writing better emails, how to have crucial conversations. And frankly, I think AI can do a lot of first drafts when it comes to that. But where we need to train our recruiters is how to have conversations with the most important inputs and then accurately convey that in this framework that was created by generative AI. And so to me, it's this blending of AI meets the best parts of a recruiter and the skills that a recruiter brings to this relationship and figuring out how to really balance the two to take advantage of this opportunity to be faster, which ultimately you can be, but it's a matter of creating quality in the first place. And that the consequence of that is a faster hiring process. To pick up on that point about quality, what makes a great job posting from from your experience, from the work that you do, helping companies kind of really stand out and appeal to that person that they want to hire? What makes a great job posting? Well, the number one thing, and I'm going to sound like I'm beating the drum here, but truly I believe this, is telling the truth. Allowing and creating content that allows anyone in the whole world to read this posting and say, yes, I want to do this. No, I don't. Yes, I can. No, I can't. And giving someone enough information to answer those questions. Because that is truly equity. Equity is someone being able to read the post and make their own decision. Right now, job postings are simply standing between people and work. They're not facilitating the relationship between people and work, and they become barriers to entry when people are highly qualified to do that work. The perfect example is when a job says no experience required and there are 35 job requirements underneath, and you're like, what? (laughs) Right? So that's my first standard, but that's something I can't see if I just scan a job posting. So when I look to scan a job posting and understand if it meets my baseline of good, the first thing I'm looking at is the job title. So the job title can't be some wild query because if your job is not found, it doesn't actually matter how good the rest of the content is. If the right candidate does not type in the word and find your posting, you you did not do something right. And you will fail right there. And job title is the number one indicator that creates that match in a search algorithm. It has the most weight as far as job boards go when it comes to what they serve up to you. The next thing I'm looking at is to make sure that it is not too long. 
So the average person's attention span is about 65 seconds. Okay. It is very short and we need to write in a format that helps people actually get through it. If you have a ton of unqualified candidates, it's because you said too much because they didn't even read to the bottom. That's my favorite when people are like, I have so many unqualified candidates. And I'm like, how you gave them an entire book, right? No one's getting paid to read the book. And the last is what you convey. So I'm looking for the impact of that person's work. I'm looking for everyday activities. And I'm looking for what we all expect to see, which is mandatory requirements. But let me be very clear what I mean by mandatory. Mandatory means that without the help of God, Google, or a really great mentor, you could not possibly figure this out on your own. Okay? That's what mandatory means. It's like, I wouldn't take someone who has no management experience and put them in a role where they're managing 45 people, right? That's what I'm talking about. It's the obvious things that you could not do if you did not do this before. And describing experiences, not skills. Because experiences are universal. If you and I say we both went to the store, we both drove on the highway, I think we both understand what that means broadly, even if the scenery is a little bit different. Skills do not have universal meaning in that way. Collaborative. If I asked a room of 100 HR people to define collaboration for me, every single one would give me something different. We can't lean into that, especially if you're looking for that generative AI element where we can use database that someone else created. No, we need to go on experiences because that creates yes, no logic and helps us get where we need to go faster. I think that's really interesting because it sounds really simple, but it's it's where so many employers kind of fall down, both in the way that they think about talent and the way that they talk about their talk about their vacancies. Because it's kind of easy to understand that if I'm getting on a plane, I don't want a pilot who's never flown a plane before <laughs> to, to be flying. But it's not always as kind of cut and dry as that, is it? So I think it's something that lots of employers struggle with. They really struggle with it. And they also don't realize the financial impact on the business when they lie or when they exaggerate in those postings. So it's hard for managers, and this is where the recruiter collaboration comes in and where I believe we need to do the most training, is having a recruiter who can listen to a hiring manager describe everyday activities, impact, and work backwards from that into creating those mandatory requirements. Being able to say, okay, if they have to come in here and code with SQL and build a database with thousands of inputs, we probably want someone who knows how to use SQL, (laughs) right? And that sounds stupid, but that's the connection we're not making right now. A lot of people are doing one thing or another. And they're also, like I said, that financial impact. So I just did some research and there's an emotional impact and the money. So the emotional impact is that if someone does not believe that the job they applied to and the job they get align, about 30% of people quit in the first 60 days for that reason. They report that as the reason why they leave. 30%, okay? But then if you multiply that number on the financial impact of a business, it gets really wild because if someone quits in the first 60 days, it costs your organization about 20% of their first year salary to refill that role. So if the average salary in the US is about 60K, you're looking at 20,000. The value of a job posting is in excess of 20,000 US dollars and not even your most senior role. Yeah. And people just don't think that through. 
No. I think they believe that job postings are just a piece of marketing that you can ignore. As much as you ignore the spam texts that you get, as much as we ignore the social media ads that show up, you know, every sixth post trying to convince us to click between a picture of our mom's puppy and our best friend's travel, right? <laughs> and, and they believe that jobs are just like this artificial thing and that the recruiter, and especially because they've been trained by to this experience, they just believe the recruiter will like go out and magically find the person that the best talent won't apply. I've heard that a lot. But why would we go into an opportunity with that mindset? Like when I think about hiring, this is a very analytical thought process from a copywriter, but hear me out. Like to me, hiring is hard because there are a million variables we don't control right? Like if you made a math problem out of this, there are a lot of elements that we simply cannot say we control because we work with one of the most unpredictable variables in the whole world, people, right? We can't control them. We can't control their behavior, let alone predict it, even with AI. And so to me, the job posting is one of the very few variables you can actually control in the whole process, right? If we tell the truth there, the best person can find it. And if the best person finds it, then they apply and we don't have to go out and source for six weeks to get a short list. No, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And focusing in on just for a second on on a few things that you've said. So you've talked about the truth and finding the truth and, and communicating the truth. You mentioned right at the beginning about, about recruitment marketing teams being laid off and also you know, employer brand presentations sort of 10 years ago. But to pull that all together in one question, employer branding is an area that has been in many organizations has been decimated by the, you know, the economic time that we've been going through in the last in the last few months. Now, seems that you know many organizations are looking to kind of reverse that and and focus on em- employer branding again what do you think what's next for employer branding where do you think it's going what's the kind of the next stage of it my guess is that they will require employer brand teams to evolve their recruitment operations skills so that means actually being able to report on campaigns and to start looking at employer brand as an accelerator I think we'll see employer brand scale fastest in organizations with a large percentage of roles that are high volume and low retention because there's a lot of repeatability, (laughs) repeatability, right? Like this idea that you can create a campaign and iterate because you're in the same region, you're looking for the same type of applicant, et cetera. I think on the other extreme, as we're creating new markets and new spaces get created, I think that employer brand will be more important in supporting the marketing organization on not just how we create, you know, market ownership and extend our reach and awareness of our brand, but how do we extend our reach and awareness of our brand to the point where people want to work for us? And I hate to use Tesla as the example, but a few years ago, right? Not only, I think it's a perfect example of what's coming for employer brand, because not only was everyone dying to get a Tesla, everybody wanted to work there too. And if you saw that on someone's resume, it was like, ooh, and the only reason I can say, ooh, is because you go to the conference agendas, right? And there's always someone from Tesla there. That's your proof of like a brand that's starting to reach that pinnacle of marketing meets recruitment marketing. People want to work there. People want to buy their stuff is when you go to a conference and they're everywhere. <laughs> it's like Zappos back in the day. Yes. 
That makes perfect sense. Before we started recording, you mentioned we were talking a little bit about making automation more human. So as we kind of move through this, as people start using AI in increasingly using AI in in, in different ways, looking to automate recruitment, marketing and, and recruiting even further than they are at the moment. How do you make automation more human? I think the first piece is kind of going backwards to understand our relationship with AI. And that's the research I was working on that we were discussing is this idea that we went from Siri to now thinking we can apply to HR, but we forgot one really unique element. So there's a generation of us, and I'm not going to call out how old I am, but you and I, same, like we're older, right? We grew up in a life where we went to libraries to discover information. We had encyclopedias, right? We were able to take an idea and go down a wormhole. It's one of my very favorite things to do is just to like find something interesting and learn as much as I can about it because I'm, I'm intrigued. Versus this next generation, which is now 40% of the market, millennials and Gen X, 40% of the talent market, Okay to this next generation where there's a fine line in the 90s of children who really grew up by finding information by asking Siri. They got their information because they asked Google and Google gave them one answer and they were satisfied with that, which is a control element. You don't realize that you're not getting access to more information because we're taking the prescription. The next experience most of us had with AI was actually being able to get recommendation engines which sounds really cool on Netflix, right? I go, I watch a few shows. They know what I like. They give me shows I like. And it's like, and everybody starts the, are they listening to me? You know, like you get the ad for something that you were just talking about. And the danger with that, when you apply it to HR technology, is this idea that can we trust the recommendation? Can we trust the data? And we're not talking enough about kind of that piece before we talk about this humanity. And I just want to remind everyone that when it's a recommendation engine, when it's giving you answers, the most important thing as the human component is to question and challenge the answers. And I don't mean by doing what I call crappy feedback, which is like saying, I don't like this. This is weird, (laughs) right? It's asking questions about why we're trying to do things that way. It's asking questions about the data source. Okay, you want your generative AI to write job postings for me? Okay, where'd you get all these job postings? What's your version of good, right? I think that's step one is being a critical consumer and just asking a lot of questions. And the other part is understanding the limitations, understanding the ethical limitations, I would say building up your knowledge of the pieces that AI doesn't know. So one of the examples is years of experience. So years of experience is a very common way to categorize experience in the space. But what we know as recruiters is years of experience is ageist. It just is. Because when you say one year of experience, you expect someone young to show up. And you say 20, you expect someone older to show up. That just is. But what we're really looking for is, do you know how to do this? And again, that's where the recruiter can add that humanity, ask contrasting questions to understand the actual scope. So for example, what does someone with 20 years of experience know that someone with five does not know? And that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where I think there's a new iteration of training that needs to happen for recruiters. And it's not some on-demand Boolean string generator. It's actually teaching them how to have better conversations, ask critical 
questions and to be critical consumers of any data that is generated by AI. So summarize this for us a little bit. What advice, what specific advice would you give to the TA leaders who are listening when it comes to preparing for the future of recruitment marketing? Honestly, I would not just be thinking about the training that you're providing your team and the tools you're providing your team, but actually how you bring the entire company along that journey. So if we truly want to, and I'm air quoting this because I don't love the phrase, but stick with me here, transform recruiting, because we all know that there's no transforming, right? Like it is definitely a mechanical where you're like, take one screw out, put the next one in and like building a Lego set, but hear me out. If we want to shift recruiting, we need to bring hiring managers on board for this process. And all of us have to be on board for the shift because hiring managers have an inconsistent relationship with recruiting because recruiting is a little different for all of them. Some of them have only worked agencies. Some of them have only worked with in-house recruiters. Some have done hybrid, right? And if they're operating with that expectation, it is very unlikely they're just going to be on board with whatever you tell them. And so I would encourage any TA leader to be thinking about education tracks for hiring managers, not just for recruiters, as you're really looking to create this relationship, because being more human means involving more humans. And final question, how does this all tie together? What does the future of recruiting look like? Where are we going to be in three to five years time? I mean, I think we're all making hypotheses on this right now. (laughs) I think... You know, if I'm going based on my last 10 years in this industry, because I have been around, ooh, I'm going on 20. I'm going close to 20 now. (laughs) And I would tell you that when I started in this industry, people were making a lot of hypotheses about the future of recruiting and very few things have massively shifted. I, I mean, frankly, I believe the last major shift was newspaper to digital. And I don't think we're going to see massive shifts in the next three to five years on what recruiting actually does. I think where we're going to see the shift is how we measure success, where recruiting sits inside of organizations, and that relationship between the two. But I don't think we're going to see some huge shift in AI. And that's just my my POV, because right now I think a lot of people are applying AI and they reach a certain point and it is a very hard wall and they have to walk away because of compliance, because of guidelines in their country, etc. Kat, thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you for having me. My thanks to Kat. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com On that site, you can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter, Recruiting Future Feast, and get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time, and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.